0: Welcome to the ClearPoints podcast, where we discuss optimizing customer experience by focusing on engagement points along the customer journey. ClearPoints is a production of ClearPoint Health, a North Carolina consulting firm that helps healthcare providers and life sciences companies get to know their patients, customers, and key stakeholders and meet their needs more effectively. ClearPoints airs on the Parklife Podcast Network.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Clear Points, the Clear Point Health Podcast. I'm Brian Castle, your host. And today I'm joined by my friend and our founder, Paul Mead, coming to us live from heaven on earth, Halifax, Nova Scotia. Good afternoon, Paul. How are you? Good afternoon, Brian. I'm doing well here. Well, as is usually the case when we bring Paul out for playtime on the podcast, Uh, we're talking about patient engagement. Um, This is an area of our business where it's really close to our hearts. Uh, We think that everything we do ultimately impacts patients, Um, but a lot of the work we do is quite indirect with that. It it first affects people uh, up or down the stream, as the business school people might say. Uh, But our patient engagement work uh, enables our company to use our considerable strategic and uh, research skills to more directly impact the lives of patients. And I'm grateful that we're now able to do some nice work in this space with uh, different companies in life sciences and uh, in the provider space as well. Paul, I, I think it's a good idea when we. Talk about patient engagement, it's one of those very elastic terms, Uh, means something different, literally, depending on your perspective in the healthcare ecosystem. So why don't you share what you see as your perspective as both uh, as somebody who's worked in industry a long time, also as a consultant and entrepreneur, and also as an educator, as a professor in public health. Thanks, Brian. Um, Yeah, patient engagement
2: is not new. It's been around for a while, um, but it's taken on lots of different shapes throughout its journey. Uh, Patient engagement, in my mind, is simply a subset of customer experience. So if you look at all the things that are going on in the area of customer experience in in finding customers, retaining customers, meeting all their needs, uh, then patience is simply... a They're simply a subset of that. And so patient engagement, in my mind, in the healthcare industry is centered around a couple of key functional areas. Um, And the first one is how much is a patient aware of their disease or disorder? How much education do they have? How much knowledge do they have? Where do they get this information? Of course, you can look to the internet today as a wealth of information, but it also is a wealth of disinformation. And so it's really confusing for any patient searching for uh, disease information to know what is real and what's not real and what's accurate. So so the extent of the awareness of a patient is centered around their knowledge of the disease. That then takes it to the next level. What is the level of of engagement of the patient with decision-making? So is that patient able to have a conversation with a care provider and be involved in some of the decision-making of their treatment? So to the extent that they're activated or involved in decision-making really captures that engagement piece. So you can't be engaged and be passive. You have to be engaged and be active. And and the last element that, that sort of comes into play here when looking at patient engagement, is emotion. You know, going into a doctor's office and being told you have a lifelong chronic disease is, it sends you down an emotional journey that can really throw you off. Um, and the classic example is you walk in to get the results of a lab test you might've had and the doctor says, you've got stage three cancer. Um, you just go down an emotional journey. You can't hear anything else that's being said. So, understanding that journey that a patient goes through is really, really important to, to meeting their needs. And so, that's how patient engagement has expanded a lot from the old days of just doing a customer satisfaction survey.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I have a, as you know, I have a firsthand appreciation. Uh, especially for what that last part means. You know, I was being treated for chronic sinusitis uh, 23 and a half years ago. And after a month of my sinusitis getting worse and worse and worse and worse and going through some incredible pain, that changed to uh, you have this life-threatening autoimmune disease and you may not have that long to live. And uh, I've been on that emotional journey. At times, it's a roller coaster. At times, it's like being in the wilderness uh, and not knowing what's going to happen to you day to day. And other times, it's okay. And I've always thought it was important that everybody involved, family, friends, uh, much less the people charged with keeping me alive and keeping me with a high quality of life that I'm very grateful to say that I have today, um, that they have as good of an understanding of where I was at a particular time. It, it can change so much, whether you're talking about something like cancer or an autoimmune or even a condition like diabetes, um, or like my father who is dealing with uh, COPD, um, so I, I, I what I, that's something I really comes from my heart and my brain uh, how much I love that we're now working in this space to try to improve it in our special ways. So when I um, came to you about having this conversation, um, I wanted to share with our listeners uh, there, there's a, there are a couple of different mapping services that we do and even like you were saying, with the meaning of patient engagement itself, it's in the eye of the beholder, the eye whoever you're speaking to. Sometimes, um, but these terms, patient flow mapping and patient journey mapping, uh, can be interchangeable and, and and used interchangeably, but they do have some distinct meanings and some overlaps. And I thought you'd be the ideal person to educate our listeners on some of those differences and similarities and also uh, aspects like who, what are the benefits of doing this kind of research and what are the actions you can take as a result, depending on where you lie in that healthcare ecosystem. So let's, let's uh, before we take a deep dive into each one at a, at a high level, can you explain the difference between patient flow mapping and patient journey mapping?
2: Yeah, sure, Brian. Um, I think that when we look at a patient flow map, we're trying to understand how's the, that patient flowing through the healthcare system. You know, what are the the uh, what are the different stages along the way? Is there an impact on that patient? Whether it be a procedure or whether it's a decision making or moving into another area, going from emergency into admitted into the hospital. So when I think of a patient flow map, I think of this, strapping a GoPro camera on your head when you're about to walk into the healthcare system, record everything that goes on until you go back home again. And it's kind of a snapshot in time as to what happened to you along the journey. Did you start out by having a symptom that prompted you to go to the emergency? Did you uh, see only the emergency specialist? How quickly did you get triaged? Uh, who else saw you? Were there any consults? Um, yes. And then, were you admitted into the hospital or were you discharged and followed up? So, a patient flow map is really about the flow of the patient going through the healthcare system, and. Um, it's from the perspective usually of the healthcare provider. So it's asking healthcare providers what happened to the patient next and then what happened. And then what happened. It tends to um, also capture the different treatment options. And it tends to use more uh, quantitative data because you want to know what percentage, what percentage went into the emergency and got admitted as, as an inpatient, what percentage were discharged. So you're using the quantitative data to, to inform your map, if you would. But it's it's somewhat limited by the entry and exit into and out of the healthcare system. Um, so so that's a good flow map. Um, but a patient journey map, you know, as you know, a journey is not just the one entry point. Your journey starts a long time ago. And it keeps going, especially on a chronic disease. A patient journey map is trying to look at the perspective of the patient as they go through the changes that they have to go through to manage their disease. So it may start very early on with some symptoms that prompted somebody to do something differently. Then from there, um, it will map their journey into the healthcare system. But then they go home. And they have to do things maybe differently. Their lifestyle may change. Their exercise, their diet may change. They may be on medications that may be difficult, might have side effects. So the journey, as I think um, Confucius once said, the journey of a thousand miles begins on the first step. And so you have to think about a much broader perspective when you're looking at a patient journey map. There are many, many steps along the way. Um, I also like to think about a patient journey map as having the elements of education and knowledge of the disease, the decision-making, and the emotions, as we talked about. So those
1: are some of the key differences between those two, Brian. All right. Well, let's go, let's go deep on each. So let's start with the flow mapping. You mentioned a minute ago that uh, on a patient flow map, the type of data gathered uh, comes from the perspective of providers. So what what sort of data do we gather there? Um, so
2: what we want to do is look at all the touch points. Who has actually seen the patient and who has made decisions around it? And one example is a, a complex one we saw where a patient with heart failure um, ended up in the emergency department. And in the emergency department, they were seen by the emergency specialist who probably got a cardiology consult or an IM consult. Uh, If that patient was severe enough, they were admitted into inpatients. They probably went to an IM ward or a cardiology ward. They saw more people there, more people doing more diagnostic and lab testing, uh, getting baseline measurements when they were admitted. They may have gone to an electrophysiology lab to get some EKG work and other stuff done. They may go to a catheterization lab, get more work done, seen by more cardiologists and more people. And in in a patient flow map, you wanna try to capture all those points. And so, as I mentioned that the journey through heart failure can be a lot more complex, a lot more touch points. On a simple one, we did a study in dermatology and although it was a pretty severe dermatological condition, the journey was much less. You started out with your family doctor and went to see the dermatology that specializes in the condition. And there were very few touch points along the way. So, you know, a journey can be a very simple journey or it can be a very complex one.
1: It sounds like you can get into a lot of data points pretty quickly, uh, especially on those more complex uh, patient flows. Um, How do we get that data? Like, what methodology or methodologies do we use in this patient engagement space to get at that kind of data?
2: Yeah, well, there's a lot of um, sources of information. You know, some of that is uh, secondary research, it's available uh, by purchasing, and you can look at treatment guidelines and you get some idea of, you know, which group of patients will go down one track versus the other. And you can get that into some epidemiological studies that are available. You can get that through treatment guidelines. But more importantly, Brian, you really want to get a picture of what's going on today rather than using treatment guidelines that may have been published two years ago. Um, The way we have collected that is through electronic surveys. Very in-depth surveys that, that have lots of logic in it um, that can be completed by different healthcare providers. And so we, we capture all that data and then we have some special software that maps that all out and looking at, you know, what are decision points and what are entry points in the different areas. So we have lots of different sources and, um, when all else fails, if you really want to fine tune your information, you can always do telephone interviews. It's, uh, a little more expensive way to gather the data, but it's also a nice way to really focus on getting some pertinent information.
0: ClearPoints is brought to you by ClearPoint Health on the Parklife Podcast Network. CPH has been a leader in healthcare customer experience for nearly two decades, Contact us today at clearpointhealth.com to learn more about our work to help you optimize virtual engagement of key stakeholders during COVID-19.
1: I know from our previous conversations that you sometimes refer to these as patient decision maps. Tell us why.
2: Okay, so a patient decision map is also embedded within what I would call the flow map. Um, And what you're looking at here are what are the decisions that are made uh, for the patient by providers, and what are the decisions that are made with the patient? And that tends to be very different. And so a lot of times... Uh, decisions are made behind the scenes. You might have a physician getting a console, looking at an x-ray, and they're making decisions on what would the next move be. And that's kind of behind the scenes. And then the physician comes to the patient and says, so here's what's happening next. And that's a decision for the patient. But what we're seeing more and more now is that the healthcare provider is in is involving the patient in that decision and saying, well, here are your options. You can have A, B or C. And so there's a much more of a dialogue around that decision mapping, whether the patient is engaged or not. And there have been a lot of studies uh, published in the literature that have shown that when a patient is more engaged in their treatment, care and options, they tend to have better outcomes. Um, and so a lot of these healthcare delivery organizations, the ACOs, the IDNs, all of that, you know, used to focus on patient satisfaction. And so they'd treat a patient and then they'd send them a patient satisfaction survey to see if they were satisfied. And that
1: just didn't doesn't cut it anymore. I've always found... A- as a patient, you know, with a fairly complex set of issues that I can be dealing with. When whenever I'm hit with one of those uh, surveys, and you know, it's it's all based on like, would you rate your experience a ten? And it's like, well, it's not that easy, <laughs> you know. It's, I always think these questions don't really apply. Um, And so there needs to be this kind of research to to bridge those understanding gaps. Because you can, there are times when I would want to fill it out a certain way, but I think, well, I don't want to get people in trouble who were there to manage my experience there who hit all their marks. Like it's not that. Uh, And then at the same time, you don't want to give good marks to let your issues go unaddressed, right?
2: Right. Now, if you think about what I said earlier, that patient engagement is a subset of customer experience. So let's go back to that. You know, you're a patient that has just entered the healthcare system. And if, if I'm a healthcare delivery organization, then I wanna make sure that my customer experience is very good. I want to make sure my patient experience is very good. Why? Well, because having a patient that comes into the healthcare system and has a great experience and a favorable outcome is good for me. It's good for business. As a healthcare provider or provider organization, I want to see my patients coming back. I want to see them happy. I want to give them the best treatment I can at the best cost that I can. But I also want to get the best outcomes. And the more I engage my patients, the better my outcomes
1: will be. So it's, it's just good business. What would you say are any of the limitations or constraints on this kind of research? And I, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just how the, how the research is framed.
2: So on a patient flow map, as I said earlier, we tend to get our data from the healthcare providers. Um, now, you could argue there's a bias that they have, uh, not unlike what you just said. You don't want to get anybody into trouble. So so they, they have a vested interest in making themselves look good. They have a vested interest in telling you that they really spend a lot of time educating their patients and they spend a lot of time engaging them on the decision making and they take into account their emotional journey. But is that a self-fulfilling prophecy? You know, how do you really know that's what's going on? And so what you're missing in this data is the perspective of the patient. You know, sometimes when you go to the patient and say, well, what was your experience like? You know, did they spend a lot of time talking about your disease? And they might say, no. <laughs> did they engage you in the decision making? Well, not really. Not really. So, um, so there's an inherent bias, I think, when you go to the provider who has a vested interest in telling you what the outcomes might have been. And so uh, there's a limitation on that. There's also, you know, the fact that you're not hearing from the patient may be a limitation. And the other thing, Brian, is that even though a lot of healthcare providers and organizations follow treatment guidelines... We also know that treatment guidelines vary from one hospital to another, from one state to another, from one country to another. They vary differently. So therefore, you know, when you're looking at a patient flow map, that flow may be very specific for a given region or a given hospital system. And so there's there's, um, issues with, you know, being able to, Generalize the results of that depending whether you get enough of a sample size.
1: So, to conclude the discussion on patient flow mapping, who is this for? You know, who benefits from this kind of research? And what kind of insights uh, can they expect to take away that will impact their business and? hopefully, and first and foremost, uh, impact uh, better patient outcomes? So I I would say a lot of people benefit
2: from this kind of research. And I would certainly say that a provider organization would stand to benefit by gaining a better understanding of how patients are flowing through their system. And um, it was really interesting to note that when the heart failure project was done, that there were so many silos you know, that the patient going into the electrophysiology lab was probably not aware of what was decided in the catheterization lab that was decided in the cardiology ward that was decided in the emergency department, you know. And and so it's connecting the dots, right? And so sometimes um, just knowing how those dots are connected are really important. Now, if you're, uh, say, a pharmaceutical company and you have products that you're trying to manage – given disease with, then that kind of information is beneficial. Why? It's kind of a reality check against the treatment guidelines, right? You can look at the treatment guidelines and says, well, 30% supposed to go here if they get this marker and 30% go over here. And then when you start mapping this out and you say, well, what percentage went over here? And they say, well, that was 45% and not 30. Suddenly you're, you're looking at an academic treatment guideline versus the reality of what the patient is really going through. And so not only just a reality check on on the treatment guidelines, but a a really good understanding of what is going on in that healthcare delivery system, you know. And and so that's valuable information in kind of knowing variations, even regional variations and and, uh, country variations on the way patients are
1: managed through that uh, the flow. One thing I've noticed during my consultations is there. there's an ancillary benefit at least for um, life sciences company, Pharmaceutical Biotech Device Diagnostics is their understanding uh, who are the key opinion leaders are who can drive um, the advancement of treatment in, in their therapeutic area where they're where they're uh, introducing and and maintaining products, um, they're learning of so many of the conditions we now treat in society can be so intersectional. Um, Like you think of, you know, I do a lot of work in the diabetes and obesity space. You know, there's some, there's some medications, you know, at that intersection. There's also a lot of stuff in, in the general cardiovascular space that can have multiple benefits for the patient if they understand from this type of mapping who patients who's touching who's caring for patients along the way it can uncover really important groups of people to engage scientifically
2: yeah i think if we if we go back historically um you can even go back to the days of the greeks and uh and um, medicine, which was originally more of an art form, um, because we didn't know a lot of science, right? And so the the physician would simply look at the patient, and they could tell by looking holistically at the patient that there's that are, there are things that aren't working right. There's and everything is connected, so they would look holistically at the patient and go, "We need to treat you as a whole patient." And the medicine got you know, much more scientific and it began to segment and segment and fragment and fragment down to the point where, you know, we now have specialties. And uh, I like to tell the story. This goes back a number of years, Brian, but I was calling on a physician and it was an ENT specialist. And I was talking to that specialist about otitis media, which is an ear infection affecting a lot of young kids. And he looked at me and he goes, oh, no, I only specialize in the nose. And I said, oh, which nostril? Um, and obviously in jest, I said that, but um, it gives you the idea of how specialized medicine has got. Okay, so what, where are we going now? Where's patient engagement going? It's bringing us back to the whole patient. It's bringing us back to just because I walk into a hospital with heart failure doesn't mean that's the only thing going on. And therefore, You can't just look at a person and go, there's a walking heart, there's a liver, there's a set of lungs, right? That's not how we live. And I think that the more patients engage in their care, the more that they can talk about the holistic approach to their journey and understanding there are lots of different elements and components to any chronic disease. So, I think the, the benefit of doing these journey maps is to really get a better understanding of what's going on. Um, you know, it's really interesting in a, in a clinical study. You know, having a patient drop out of a clinical study can be pretty drastic for the clinical program because um, when a patient drops out, is lost to follow up, there are statistical ways that you can account for that to a point but if enough drop out you lose the statistical power of your study and your whole study can be in jeopardy throwing millions of dollars down the drain and one time in a study we were trying to understand why patients were dropping out and we found out it was the simple fact they couldn't find a parking spot in the garage at the hospital and therefore they just never went back to the clinic and imagine a study that could end up losing millions of dollars because the patient couldn't find a parking spot in the garage at the hospital. So better understanding what patients and people go through in their disease is going to benefit anybody that that touches that patient in any way that has anything to do with them.
1: Well, Paul, that's a, it's an important topic and, and I'm glad we were able to get together and and take the deep dive, recontextualize within the patient engagement framework, but also do a deep dive on patient flow mapping. Next time we'll have you on and we'll talk uh, patient journey mapping, um, an equally important area of our work. Thanks for coming aboard today. Thanks for
2: having me, Brian. I look forward to the next uh, session.
0: Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to ClearPoints on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify so you won't miss our next episode coming soon. Clear Points is a production of ClearPoint Health and the Parklife Podcast Network.